name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters of Christ. This past Monday was All Saints Day. It's a day where we joyfully remember all of the known and unknown saints of the church. When it comes to celebrating saints, we often think of people who have done exceptionally great things of faith. St. Francis of Assisi, for example, he was a wealthy young man who, upon his conversion, sold all that he had and devoted his entire life to serving the poor. Another example is Martin Luther. He fought vehemently for the accurate teachings of scripture, and he was willing to put his life on the line for the sake of the gospel truth. But what about a mother of two kids who lovingly raises and teaches her children in the faith? or a faithful father who works nine to five to provide for his family, or even a child who lovingly and dutifully obeys his parents. See, the saints aren't just these great people of faith, but they're all people of faith. It's not the actions that make the saint, but the Lord. When I first looked at today's readings that were assigned for All Saints Day, I had this incorrect assumption that the holiday only was meant to honor the saints who had passed away. And so I was confused how the Beatitudes fit in. You have Revelation, which is talking about the saints in heaven. You have 1 John, which is talking about the glorification of all saints and the resurrection. But Matthew's text didn't quite seem to fit in. This brings us to the gospel reading for today. To put it in context, Christ is in the beginning portions of his ministry. He's going around, he's teaching in synagogues, he's healing the sick, he's exercising demons, and all these activities are beginning to draw crowds. And it's interesting to note, Matthew is talking about the first parts of Christ's ministry, and yet he doesn't go into detail about it. He just gives a general summary. But he does go into detail about the crowds, stating that the great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. What this is doing is it's indicating that Matthew is trying to emphasize the coming Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to set the stage for this big speech. And so Christ sees these great crowds from all over, and he goes on top of a mountain to teach them. He prepares to talk. The anticipation's growing. These people have traveled from far and wide to hear what this wise teacher has to say. He finally opens his mouth, and the first four things that come out of his mouth make absolutely no sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's likely that you've heard these teachings before, but if you really think about them, they make no logical sense, especially if you understand what blessed means. In the Greek, the word being used is makarios. And while it's understandably translated as blessed, it kind of gives this wrong impression. It's almost like Christ is saying that he's hoping that the situation will get better. Similar to how we would say, bless this person or bless this situation when we want circumstances to change. But that's not what's happening here. In blessing it, the word isn't being a wish regarding a coming condition, and it's not a description of a current condition, it's a judgment statement. Christ is saying that these people must be considered fortunate. He's saying that these people are to be congratulated because their place in life is an enviable one. 
So let's reframe these four statements with this better understanding of makarios. It is enviable to be poor in spirit. It is enviable to be mourning. It is enviable to be meek, and it is enviable to be in a position to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And now remember to whom Christ is talking to. There's this large crowd that's gathered from all over, and it's likely composed of only Jews. And here Christ is saying that it's blessed. It is enviable to be passive and powerless, to be unable to do anything. Understandably, they would have been confused, thinking that this makes no sense. The blessed ones, those should be the ones who are trying to follow God's laws, the ones who are trying to follow all 613 commandments. They'd be asking themselves, how can the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of God? It should be the high in spirit, the zealous ones, the ones who are trying to follow God's will. Those should inherit the kingdom. To be honest, the crowd's confusion would likely be our own reaction, especially in today's context and culture. To thirst for righteousness indicates that you are suffering injustice. To be powerless indicates that you are oppressed. To mourn indicates that you've lost something. And to be low in spirit indicates that you are spiritually destitute with nothing to offer. None of these values that are blessed in the eyes of Christ are particularly valued in today's society. In fact, we view them all as weaknesses. Having no spiritual worth, being powerless, suffering injustice, oppression, and loss are all conditions we would seek to remedy. And while we may pity the poor, we may sympathize with those who mourn, we may feel bad for those who are powerless, we surely don't envy them. But this is a false distinction. See, while some may be suffering more than others, some may be more powerless than others, the reality is we are all suffering and we are all powerless. We think we have control in this world until we realize we don't, until the carpet gets pulled from under us. An unforeseen disaster leaves you homeless. A freak accident leaves you permanently disabled. Or a tiny little virus upends society for years. As much as you want power and control, you can never truly have it. But this leaves us feeling vulnerable and exposed, and it's an uncomfortable position to be in. Now, this vulnerability and this uncomfortableness doesn't just stay in the realm of the civic life, but it directly influences the way we view our relationship with Christ. When things are uncertain, when we feel spiritually vulnerable and exposed, the temptation is to frantically cover yourself, work harder, be better, do something to hide yourself. But the reality is, God will see through to your nakedness. No matter how hard you try, God will always see it. And the truth is, it is almost impossible to feel comfortable in your weakness and vulnerability, to be completely exposed and powerless before God. That is precisely what God calls us to do, to be honest with ourselves, to admit our true condition. But it's hard. If we have no power to change anything, where do we turn? Well, let's look back at the Beatitudes and look at them through the lens of Christ crucified. In the death of Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but of everlasting life. It is the gospel message in a nutshell that we've all heard before. But think about the way God is providing salvation. Think about the method in which he does it. God, through his own pure love, provides his son to save the entire world. It's an action that is done solely by God and through God for the benefit of everyone. God provided the means of salvation while man brought nothing. Look back at the first four Beatitudes with this structure of God bringing salvation in mind. All of the positive traits that Christ lists are that of suffering and powerlessness. These people bring nothing to the table because they have nothing to offer. Yet it is precisely because of their powerlessness that they are blessed. They are blessed because they understand that they cannot save themselves. What can the poor in spirit offer to their own salvation? Where can the mourning, the meek and oppressed turn when they are suffering? They know that they can do nothing by themselves. And so they are blessed because they turn to God. They rely on God with their whole hearts to deliver them, to provide for them. And God will provide for them. He will bring salvation for the poor in spirit. He will comfort the mourning. He will empower the powerless. And he will bring satisfaction for those who desire righteousness. God promises to provide everything for them while they bring nothing. And so, for the Beatitudes, in typical fashion, Christ flips the script. He turns complete weakness into ultimate strength. Christ proclaims that God comes to the people that cannot care for themselves, making them into believers and turning them into saints. If this pandemic has brought anything good, though it seems to have brought only bad, if it has brought anything good, it has taught us to feel powerless. Powerless to control the disease. Powerless to make the government do what you want. Powerless to stop the sickness and even death of loved ones. Now in the eyes of the world, this can only be viewed as a negative. But in the eyes of God, it is enviable to feel this way. To feel powerless is to understand that you cannot rely on yourself. And so you are forced to turn completely toward God. And this is exactly where you're supposed to be. Because in the Beatitudes, Christ was saying that to be a saint is to live with this knowledge that you are truly powerless. God comes to you in your brokenness to deliver his gifts. When the world did nothing to deserve it, God sent his son to be a part of the world and to redeem it. And it is through his word and sacrament that God comes to the suffering and powerless today that he comes to you to deliver life and salvation. Today we saw this happen in real life, right before our eyes. We saw God come down into the muck of the world for Marba's baptism, to deliver forgiveness, to claim Marba as a child of God, to turn her from a sinner to a saint. And just like Marba, God has redeemed and claimed all of you, turning you into the saints of his church. So earlier I said that Matthew's text didn't quite seem to fit into today's readings for All Saints Day. What I had failed to realize at first was that the Beatitudes weren't about heaven or the resurrection, but they were addressing the question, what makes a saint? 
From our worldly viewpoint, we want that answer to be somebody who has power, somebody who does great things of merit. But that is simply not the answer that Christ gives. Christ teaches that the saints are the ones who recognize that they have nothing and are nothing without God. The saints are the ones who rely on God with all of their strength and all of their heart and all of their mind to provide all things for them and to fulfill all of his promises. And so, in honor of Saints Day, we look to the past to honor what God has done in the lives of saints like Francis of Assisi and Martin Luther. But I want to encourage you all to think of the weak and powerless people in your own lives today, the living saints among you. Talk to them and see what they might be able to show you about following Christ. After all, it's to God's blessing that we are all made weak and powerful so that we may be made by him into his saints. Let us pray. Almighty and heavenly Jesus Christ, coming to us to deliver all that we need, we pray that you would bring peace and comfort into our hearts so that we may live with the tension of feeling powerless and strengthened to rely solely on you. Amen.